Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com Radio Show. Hadit.com Radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 8th day of July, uh, 2015. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. And uh, uh, we're here. It is. And we're waiting on uh, Bergman and Moore to sign in. Alicia and Kelly. And uh, if you all hold on here a second, I'll give them a call. Be right back. We're sorry, your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please check the number and dial again, or call your operator. out for a minute, so uh, you guys just got on. Uh, there he is. He's back in now. Great. Okay. We're all here, Gerald. Go ahead. We're all here now. I don't see their numbers up there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> where was I at? Uh I think well how are you girls doing today? I'm good. It's it's just Alicia right now. Kelly's running a minute late. She'll be here in just a second. Okay, okay. I just called. Uh we're okay. Uh ain't the end of the world, but it is raining here in Missouri. So Ooh. That ain't good. And uh Well, Alicia, do you have anything new to tell us? Uh, we do. I think Kelly had talked to you about maybe talking about a couple of interesting cases that our firm has won recently. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we like awesome. to hear these winning cases. Yeah, uh, I have a couple of good ones. Um, the first one was actually a case for service connection for multiple sclerosis. Oh. And yeah, and it's very interesting. The veteran actually started developing symptoms during service. And um, eventually we were able to get it service-connected, and the board granted it. And with MS, the the uh, standard is a little bit different, and you have to develop symptoms within service or the seven years following service, um, which the veteran did. And one of the most interesting symptoms he had was ocular problems, was eyesight problems, which is a big cause, which is a big symptom in MS. And so we got a couple medical opinions that showed that, no, this was definitely a sign, and studies show that this is a sign of MS. And 
we were able to win the claim for him, and the the board granted it in 2014 to the end of the year, and they recently assigned um, a full rating. So he was given a 100% scheduler rating for multiple sclerosis. Well, it's now, interesting. We don't, see, we don't see a lot of those. I bet you don't. Uh, I know several uh, veterans that have that. Anyway, that's the way the VA diagnosed them, and they... Uh, uh, they didn't uh, win. Now, maybe this will open the door where some of them can go back. Yeah, it might. We'd be happy to take a look at those. We always appreciate seeing something new and interesting. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> with the VA, every day it's something new and interesting. Uh, but uh, this is good news. Especially yeah, it, for it was a really good, really good win for us, um, and especially for the veteran. You know, a lot of the symptoms the veteran displayed didn't exactly add up to one condition, so we had to prove that all these little things like chronic fatigue or eye sight problems, anything like that, were all symptoms of MS. And so in order to do that, we, you know, we get a couple specialist opinions and we put a good argument forward. In this case, it really worked out well. I'm glad to hear it, really. Yeah, uh, that, that, was a, that was a great one. Uh, now, on this, other veterans would be able to utilize uh, your uh, your winnings on this, wouldn't they? Couldn't they use the same argument or thereabouts? Well, we can. They can use the same strategy. They can't use that specific decision. Uh, VA doesn't consider that um, unless it's a specific case law that set a precedent. VA doesn't consider that um, basically is is a kind of evidence. Oh, that's why they uh, keep insisting on doing individual uh, claims. Yeah, which is, you know, it's hard, too, because a lot of veterans will look up board decisions and they'll submit previous board decisions and say, well, you granted service connection for MS and all these other cases. Why aren't you granting it for me? And VA comes back and says, well, all those cases are different than your case. So we don't look at previous decisions to apply it to your decision. You know, it has to be each individual case and medical evidence. Go ahead, John. It has to be a precedent-setting court case. It can't be a BVA Correct. decision. They'll, they'll laugh at you on BVA decisions. They do it every day. Correct, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm one that feels like they ought to group and put them together in groups, and that way they can... And uh, they have enough with the same ailments, uh, uh, veterans being in the same locations and what have you, that... Uh, I think they could do that uh, in, a, in a lot of cases, just group them together. We just got another one. This is Kelly. Sorry, I'm a little bit late, but um, we just got another case that we won where the veteran was stationed in uh, Thailand during the Vietnam War, and uh -huh. the VA said that because he wasn't on the perimeter of the base, he hadn't been exposed to Agent Orange. Well, of course, this guy said he'd helped load Agent Orange into the planes and he'd felt it fall on his skin at night and, and he was working the perimeter of the flight line. And they, they were just, they just said that, that, that he um, 
was eligible for benefits for service connection. So, and that was a great case because he's um, his son is also a veteran. He's an Iraq War veteran. He served in Iraq three times and has disabled himself. And the family's home was flooded twice. They lost almost everything. So even though it took 15 years for the case to finally go through, they, they at least had some good news after some, some pretty rough years. Yeah, that was a rough one, too. Kurt Preston did a lot of work on that uh, Thailand veterans and uh, uh, exposed a, a lot uh, that the VA couldn't uh, ignore, and and uh, he sure helped a lot of veterans with his work on it. Yeah, it's frustrating, though, to see those cases come through because you see the evidence and you think that it should be pretty clear-cut, and it's not always, but... They can win them eventually, so. Yeah, that's true. Now, do you see any changes coming in the VA? Are they getting a little more lax or, or should I say, a little more uh, honest in, in their uh, deliberating? Uh, you know, it's awful easy to grab that denial stamp and... Uh, they need to lighten up a bit. Uh, I don't think we're seeing it yet, if it's happening. <laughs> no, no, we don't see it here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think uh, I've seen it anywhere. We we do hear it had it. We do get some winners once in a while uh, that's been successful with their claims. But uh, uh, for the percentage... Percentage-wise, I don't think it's that high. Uh, do you, John? It's always typically right about 4%, Gerald, so that's the way it always has been. That's the way it always will be. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, they just don't want to turn loose of them benefits, and uh, it makes it rough. Yeah, it's kind of like everything. And it's been 4% for years. Unless the girls have got an update on the percentages, you know. Paul used to have those information when he, when he worked there. He had the, he had the uh, numbers and stuff. I wonder if they still have access to that. Oh, I'm yeah. sure we do, but I don't have it off the top of my head. To ask Paul about that. Yeah, but uh, it's just that they I'm sure you guys have been watching this. Congress passed a, a bill that would allow veterans to have their own ID card, so they wouldn't have to carry around like their DD-214s anymore. And it's great because it, it's something they can use at VA, but also, you know, on, on Memorial Day or Veterans Day when they're uh, Veterans Day more so than Memorial Day, but when they're doing the, the free meals and that sort of thing, you've got this card you can show instead of the DD-214. And that's actually on the president's desk right now for signature, and looks like it'll be coming through soon. Well, that would be nice, but I've never had any trouble like that. Uh, oh, you have? Uh, I've never had to show uh, my DD-214. I have on uh, when I was working, back when I was working, the employers would uh, ask for a copy of your DD-214, uh, mm -hmm. uh, which I could understand, you know. But, uh, so you haven't been getting the free meals? <laughs> uh, yeah, 
Well, I went up to Golden Corral and <laughs> a free meal. And, I mean, I had to stand in line or sit in line. I was in my wheelchair. But uh sat in line for half a day. <laughs> but it was pretty good what was left. <laughs> the pickings are slim <laughs> when you're in the back of the line. But they did a good job. I'm glad to see them do it every year. Did Alicia already talk about what we're seeing with the traumatic brain injuries? Uh, oh, that's right. We were going to talk about traumatic brain injuries. That's a serious issue. It is. It's something that we're seeing a lot of, and I think a lot of times the veterans don't realize themselves that it's it's an issue because so many times the symptoms are similar to PTSD. Um, they might become forgetful, or they might have headaches, or they may have had a um, what they they also call it a concussion while they were in theater, and, and they may have been told that it was no big deal, and then they go off to college and they're having a hard time studying, or they change jobs, and things are just different enough that it's it's harder to to um, survive or to, to go from day to day as they did before in their military jobs. So we're starting to see more of those, and Alicia can talk a little bit more about what she's seeing on that end. Yeah, we do, we do see some traumatic brain injuries over in my department, and they're it's really hard because VA sometimes will even admit that, yes, you did sustain the traumatic brain injury in service, but because your symptoms are so similar to PTSD or adjustment disorder or depression, that we're going to rate you on the mental health schedule or rating code and not under traumatic brain injury. And so it's not necessarily that we see getting them service-connected as a problem. The ratings are the real problem. They don't really, VA doesn't rate them properly. So, you know, somebody who really needs to be getting 100% is only getting 30 or 50% because they're basing it on a condition that the veteran doesn't even have. They may not even have PTSD or adjustment disorder or mental health disability, but because the symptoms are so similar, that's what they're that's what they're going with is saying, oh, it's a mental health condition. And sometimes even treatment providers have a hard time saying, separating out the symptoms, and you really need a specialist to say, no, these are definitely symptoms of a traumatic brain injury versus these are symptoms of a mental health condition. So really what we see is the rating. So we encourage anybody with a traumatic brain injury, definitely seek some type of representation because although you might get it service-connected, you'll struggle with the rating. Uh, what oh, about MRIs? Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead, John. That makes it difficult because once you're under the realm of a mental health rating, you cannot, you do not have the option of going outside the VA to get an opinion either because they've got the laws wrapped up in their favor. When they change everything, you have to be diagnosed or by your treating physician unless your outside doctor treats you. He cannot render an opinion as to your mental health condition. Is that correct? It is. It's also very hard for veterans with traumatic brain injuries to even set up appointments that would be outside the VA. So even if they could see a private practitioner, you know, say their spouse has insurance or something like that, and they can see a private provider, it's very difficult for them to even go through the process of finding somebody and explaining what happened or what they need. A lot of times they just lack those skills because of the traumatic brain injury. It's hard for them to stay organized and focused. A lot of them can't even drive, so they're dependent on other people to help them out. Uh, and it's really difficult, you know, so they just go to VA because that's their easiest option. 
Yeah, which is which is why again we would encourage anybody who thinks they might have a traumatic brain injury or experienced a concussion in service. And Gerald, to your point, that so some kinds of traumatic brain injuries, but not not all of them, and not necessarily old injuries. If it's a minor concussion. Um, and they, they call them mild traumatic brain injuries, so it's a bit of a misnomer because sometimes those mild traumatic brain including, I, I mean, one of the things that happens is these guys get hit over and over and over again or they've been through explosion after explosion and the, the effects can be cumulative even if you never really had a, a blackout or you didn't, you don't remember hitting your head or that sort of thing. But just, just going in for an MRI isn't necessarily going to help the doctor make a diagnosis on whether you've got it or not. Uh, now, whenever they have uh, uh, traumatic brain injuries, uh, wouldn't that show up on an MRI that there's been some uh, lesions up there or something? Um, sometimes with, with major concussions or traumatic brain injuries, they do, but not always. The, the older ones don't necessarily show up, and the, the more mild ones don't show up. Mm, there's got to be a way to test for them, I would imagine. Well, there is, and that's why Alicia was saying, you know, they need to see a specialist. And here we've got someone we send them to just who can talk to them, ask them questions, can examine them in other, in other ways um, without having to do an, MR, an MRI to, to, to determine whether someone is, is uh, has a traumatic brain injury or not? I know it's a tough one to do. Uh, a lot of them got diagnosed with personality disorders, which mm. was just terrible. Right. And well, the other the thing. BA, yeah, the BA knew all along it it was from uh, concussions. You know, you're talking about personality disorders. Yeah. VA has a lot of resources for them to, to make life a lot easier. So, I, I mean, I think a lot of guys think, well, this is just the way I am, and they don't feel like they want to mess with it. But there's there's physical therapy and cognitive therapy, and there's there's um, there's devices that they use to help them remember things. And it's really good to go and get the, the help if, you, if you're worried about having a traumatic brain injury. Well, they have a lot of football players that have that uh, uh, t uh, traumatic brain injuries, and uh, uh, now how are they diagnose those? I think they watch them get their head hit. <laughs> they they know that they've got a concussion. You know, these be on film. Um, but the other thing with that, that's actually an suicide and then long-term issues such as epilepsy and, and dementia, and they think that that's happening in the, the service members as well. So it's super important to go and talk to a doctor about it. that they can use to uh, 
note, some of them with mild uh, injuries might not be as easy to diagnose, but uh, uh, there should be some kind of aptitude test or something they can, uh, or coordination test. I would suspect it would throw off their coordination uh, uh, in some sort of way. Looks like there's a lot of different ways they can test them. So it doesn't have to show up in an MRI. There's other ways to find it. Yeah. So, uh, well, where do you see the VA uh, headed? Uh, or, or is McDonald actually making a difference here on the uh, assistance uh, or? Loosening the belt where veterans don't have such a fight to get get their due compensation. Well, he's pushing through those those forms that everyone's supposed to use now in the fully developed claims, and it's still up in the air as to whether those things are going to be beneficial to the veterans or not. If you've got a cut and dried case, something pretty simple, that could be great for you, but. One of the things we're worried about with the fully developed claims is you submit all your paperwork and VA says that if you change anything, if you add any evidence to what you've submitted, then you basically go to the back of the line and you're out of the, the um, process that you were in before that's supposed to be faster. So there, it seems like there's some, some blocks to the process for people to get, to get what they deserve and we're worried about that. We're worried about... Um, the, the new informal claims process, which is actually a formal form because we're hearing that thousands of veterans are still submitting informal claims. And rather than getting a letter back from VA saying, um, here's your here's the form you're supposed to fill out or, or a copy of the actual form, they send them to a website address, which is great if you're super hip on the Internet, but not all of our veterans are. So we're worried about that as well. So, I mean, it, it could be that they're doing some great things for some veterans, and then some of the veterans are, are going to be hurting, hurting because of some of the changes. Well, you're right about the Internet. I mean, uh, why would they depend on the Internet for anything? I mean, you know, it's too unpredictable. It's easy for uh, them. <laughs> yeah, it's easy for them. It's easy for them to say they did it and uh, maybe show up on their computer, but it it get out there in the cyber world, it could be going anywhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing we're worried about is I've been reading the newspaper reports from across the country for veterans and local veterans offices, local VAs, are having their services cut because of VA's big budget shortfall. So I think it was $2.3 billion that they're short. So they're taking resources away from places, shutting down rural clinics that don't serve as many veterans, or um, a lot of adult home care is being shut down. So as they're making noise about all the veterans they're reaching out to, and, and after the you know, so much progress has been made in trying to reach those rural veterans, they're having to close those programs down, and I'm seeing it happen across the country, and that's, that's concerning. There was actually an editorial in the New York Times this morning saying that Congress needs to give Veterans Affairs the money they need to make sure that doesn't happen. Well, the VA uh, veterans should be fully funded anyway, I feel. Uh, they have to go through this, and from time to time, uh, uh, they seem to want to take money out of veterans' pockets and, and build a, 
uh, a big, large facility somewhere that's uh, way over budget. And, uh, <laughs> Denver? Poor veterans pay yep. for it. <laughs> yeah, that's like exactly what's going on. I would like to see a study done on each existing VA facility, not not including the BBA or the regional offices or the CMP departments. I would like to see every hospital closed and every veteran get some form of insurance card. The government would save so much money, it's unbelievable. The, the issue with that, though, is that if you go to a veteran's hospital, then they know exactly what to do with your Agent Orange exposure, and they know exactly what to do with your PTSD. And there was a survey recently of uh, civilian providers, mental health providers, and the majority of them said they had no clue what to do with post-traumatic stress or combat stress in particular. So if you send a guy in with an issue because he was exposed to a burn pit to a civilian hospital, they don't even know what to ask for. So, I mean, I understand this idea of privatizing care and doing the insurance card, but I'm really worried about what would happen to our specialists, the people who really know how to address veterans' issues in VA hospitals. They would still be in the system. They would just go work for, but they would go work for places that you're talking about. And the knowledge would follow them. Right, but VA trains them. So. <laughs> and yeah, well, VA trains them. Trains adjudication too. And look at it. Yeah. Well, I, I I think that making the system better rather than disappearing it might be our our better option. They train our VSOs too. And look at it. That's why you guys are involved. <laughs> well, some of the VSOs are really good, though. I mean, when you consider how many claims you go through properly, you can't really say that everybody kind of stinks, you know. True. So. VSOs are really helpful to a lot of veterans. It's just sometimes they they only have certain resources. You know, that's why when they get to an attorney or to a law firm like us, we have a lot more resources. We have specialists. We can provide medical opinions and things like that. We can send a veteran to get an independent medical exam at one of their local providers, things like that, that VSOs just don't have the resources for. A lot of the times, VSOs do really well with what they have. It's just they get to a certain point where they can't help the veteran anymore, and we can. Well, and I think they're overwhelmed, too. I don't think that they're, you know, the, the resources available to them, they're they have being taught so many things. It's, it's The whole system is sort of overwhelmed right now. That's true. You, you get your girls right, you know. Especially Which is like you know, <laughs> <laughs> If you meet a VSO in a certain location and after about four or five drinks, if you fill your claim out, just try to put percentages on there, you better look at it. <laughs> <laughs> there are probably better options. <laughs> Wait for the now, folks. <laughs> Go ahead, Drew. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one to believe. I, of course, I've learned this the hard way. But as soon as you get the attorney uh, involved in your claim, the better off you're going to be. Uh, not to say there's, there isn't good PSOs out there. I know they are. I know some. But uh, there are some that uh, end up, they shortchange your claim or or do something there and get it all messed up, and then then 
years trying to get it squared back away. I want to clear from misconception. A lot of folks think you have to have a denial to get to, to use, in order to utilize an attorney. That's not necessarily true. You just have to have a decision that you don't agree with, and you have, you have to write a notice of disagreement. Then you can use that attorney if you go to the, if you appeal that decision. Is that correct? That's true. You just need a decision from VA. You know, let's say you file for PTSD and they grant you PTSD, but you haven't been working for 10 years and they only assign you 50%. You, even though that's a grant, you can still say, no, I think I deserve 100%. I'm unemployable, right. and you can appeal that. And so all you need is a decision from VA. And if, you know, anyone's confused about what step of the process they're in, they can always give us a call and we're happy to, you know, walk them through it and answer it and see if there's anything we can do in the meantime or somebody to refer them to. If they don't have an open claim, you know, we'll find you someone to help you open it. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's good. Uh, now, what, what kind of fees are, are involved in securing an attorney to fight your claim? Is so, it standard fee 20% or does that even vary? It varies. Um, at Bergman & Moore, we are 33% um, of whatever retroactive benefits we win for you. Nothing going forward, only retroactive. Um, and we are a little bit higher than some other law firms. A lot of law firms do only charge 20%. However, a lot of those law firms can do minimal work on your case and still get paid because VA will withhold 20% from an award. So even if the attorney doesn't do much work on the case, VA will withhold 20% and pay the attorney directly. At our firm, our clients pay us directly. We don't get paid from VA. Um, so our clients pay us because they think we deserve the money, not because VA withheld it for us. Um, and also, charging 33% allows us to do things like send our clients to specialists and pay two or $3,000 for a private medical opinion up front. There are no upfront costs for our clients. You don't pay us a dime unless we win for you. Um, so, you know, we might spend five or $7,000 on medical opinions for a client, and we don't get reimbursed for that until we win. Um, but charging a higher fee like that allows us to do things like that up front, which in the end helps us win cases. Yeah, and on, on the court side, if we're represented at the court, if you're represented with us at the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims, we get paid under the Equal Access to Justice Act, so we get paid by the government. Um, so if you, we represent you at the court, there are no fees for that. Oh, now that's a benefit. <laughs> yes, it is. So if you have, if you get a, you get a board decision, even if they do grant something favorable, should still. Still run it by us and make sure that there's nothing to appeal to the court. <laughs> you only have 120 days to appeal to the court. Have you ever seen a situation where the BVA comes back and says that your law firm didn't do enough work on a claim and said you, that the veteran owes you nothing? I've seen that happen before. Uh, no, we don't see that. Generally, they just, I mean, BVA basically makes a decision, and if they grant or deny, then we go from there. Um, but no, I mean, honestly, we we do a lot of hard work for our clients. We we always put in, you know, 110%, and it's our ultimate goal to win veterans those benefits and get them the maximum amount possible, whether that's getting them just 100% or special monthly compensation. Uh, we know what we're doing here, so we, we don't get that from the board. <laughs> well, that's the uh, 
different firm because we handle only veterans issues as opposed to that just being a part of our, our law firm. And then both of our partners used to work for Veterans Affairs, so they, they know kind of how it works over there. That makes sense. Well, we have seen where attorneys, the board, I mean, the VA refused to pay the attorneys uh, for whatever reason. Hmm. And, well, that's uh, which I, I, I disagree with. I I personally feel like the doggone board, uh, I mean, the VA should have to pay all attorney fees. <laughs> That's why, like I said, we don't we don't charge a standard twenty percent withholding. Um, they don't pay VA. We don't get a check from VA. Our clients pay us after VA pays them. So they get the money from VA before VA even pays us. Before the client pays us. Yeah, we don't get anything from VA. And folks, remember that is tax deductible. <laughs> Yeah, but the claim, uh, the the funds you went in a claim is not tax is not taxable. No, but if you secured an attorney for any type of benefit, like a VA benefit or Social Security, if you pay an attorney's fee, that attorney's fee becomes uh, you can you can claim that on your taxes. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it helps <laughs> <laughs> if you're in a taxable situation, you know. Cause, if you get a big retro check, it doesn't matter because it's untaxable. But if your wife's working and you're drawing Social Security, and then you know, and she makes a certain amount of money in the tax bracket, then that'll, that's a, that's a big time assist for you for for you. So it's all beneficial either way you do it. But it gives you a you know it gives you an option. So are you guys starting to hear anything about the new forms as as people fill them out? Are you getting more questions about the informal claims process or anything like that? We're seeing mostly complaints. <laughs> people are not uh, computer literate enough in order to. And we have some folks. We got thirteen thousand members on the side. Okay, you know uh -huh. everybody there can turn a computer on. They can do some surfing. But you start digging and start looking at these forms and just start doing PDFs and things like that. And then you got to print it off or handwrite it, or you got to find a PDF uh, printable form or one that you can actually punch the numbers in. It becomes very, very, very overwhelming. Those and, forms uh, are very confusing, too. I mean, they, they say, you know, we have to disagree specifically with each condition, what part of it, and what percentage you want. I mean, who, I mean, if, you're, if you don't specialize in that, you have no idea what percentage you want. You don't understand the scheduler rating code. It's just it's so overwhelming for veterans. They just don't. I mean, it's hard for us sometimes to look at those forms. But, you know, I mean, veterans look at them, and they get very overwhelmed, and it's easy for them to say, oh, I just, I'll just deal with this later and then not come back to it. And so, you know, that we don't want that to happen. Well, I tell my veterans when I help them out, they uh, start asking percentage. I say, okay, don't put down a percentage. Put down that you're in the, the maximum percentage you're entitled to. Yeah, or they can put down a hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah. So. But, yeah. The other issue yeah. with the forms is that they say you're supposed to give all of your evidence up front, which sort of makes you think that VA isn't supposed to help you get your medical records or your VA records or or help you even get public records. It just it doesn't say that until the middle of like page three in small writing and that's that's not the case. They they should be helping you with those with those things. Then that form is illegal. 
They shouldn't be allowed to be used because of violation of the Veterans Claims Assistance Act of 2000. That form should be null and void. Do you think because of that that issue? Yeah. That should be null yeah. and void. I don't know why they haven't brought this up in court. Is it part of either of the two lawsuits? Uh, could be, but I'm not sure. Huh, I'll check that. Okay. You know, many times you have to build these claims. I mean, the information when a, a claim first gets started, it's not always all available. And uh, whenever you request information from the VA, they want you to be specific, and a lot of times you don't know what you you. You're, you're needy. And right. uh, so uh, over the process of time, you, you get a lot of time invested in the claim uh, just trying to figure out what the VA wants. Uh, right. They don't always tell you. They send out the uh, statement of cases with you or or follow those instructions, they come back with more. Right, and that's a problem if you're doing a fully developed claim because as soon as you submit it, you're you're kind of toast. You're not supposed to end, add anything to it. That's true. That's true. And and uh, not everybody has uh, access to or even know what all information the VA needs. Right, and like Alicia was saying, with the traumatic brain injury cases or with post-traumatic stress, when you're dealing with some some confusion or some short-term memory loss or or even just frustration, if you're just daily trying to make it through, getting forms like that can be a lot more frustrating than than they would be anyway. So that's that's a concern. Well, I mean, how how are you going to be in a even a mental state or uh, that you can uh, submit a fully developed claim, usually I'd say that's not going to happen. Right, which brings you back to the VSO. That's why it's important to, to yeah. go to them for help. So you need, the, you need the big help. You need the uh, superior help. Uh, when you first file the claim, so you don't make all the errors that most veterans do and end up tied up for years uh, trying to unravel it. Right. Yeah, I'm sure you guys see this too, where the spouses are the ones who are filling out all the forms and trying to keep everything together, and they may know even less about the way it goes than, than the veteran does. Uh, that's true. We've got a couple of spouses that had it that probably forgot more than the VSO will ever learn. Oh, yeah. We see that a lot, honestly. We see a lot of spouses who call in to us to ask about claims, and they know so much. They've been doing it for years. We've got one that took on the VA by herself, even even the higher levels in one. So and that lady is golden. Of course, she's getting up in years, but she's the best I've ever seen. <laughs> And they still are, honey, John. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get it, Gerald. <laughs> she, she counts every penny. They better be right on the penny or she'll go get it. 
<laughs> Bless her heart. Yeah, she does a she does a terrific job. I mean, but we see more and more spouses. We see more and more getting involved because you've got a lot of mental health conditions. You know, have a lot of veterans that are incapacitated to a certain level that they have to get involved. Right. And they're you getting do. a crash education, and uh, you know, because it takes a long time to even, you know, be able to comprehend ten percent of the stuff. It does, uh, and we yeah, well, a lot of veterans just don't have the attention span as required to. Are you still there? Yeah, go ahead, Kaylin. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, we see a lot of surviving spouses, too, you know, the widows whose husbands have passed away, and, I mean, for them, the process is so confusing. They're they're already dealing with, you know, the death of a loved one, and, and trying to navigate the VA system is just, I mean, they don't understand. They'll say, well, my husband was service-connected. I don't understand why you're not giving me benefits, and VA comes back and says, well, we're not giving you benefits because he didn't die from his service-connected condition. It wasn't a cause of death. And one of the cases we actually successfully just won was for service connection for cause of death. The veteran had very severe PTSD, but he died from end-stage liver disease. And VA was trying to say, well, end-stage liver disease didn't have anything to do with the veteran's PTSD. However, the veteran um, had a substance abuse problem, and he he was an alcoholic, and he he drank a lot. And in many of his VA exams, it said he, he drank to cope with the symptoms of PTSD to help calm his nerves. And there's obviously a huge link between alcohol abuse and liver disease, and we were able to make that connection with a medical opinion, and we were able to get the surviving spouse benefits. VA just granted entitlement to service connection for the cause of death Mm. for that. But in cases like that, you know, VA tries to come back and say, oh, and that was actually a case we had to take to the court first and get it remanded back down to the board. And the board was trying to say, no, there's, there's no connection whatsoever when there's obviously this huge connection um, you know, that a surviving spouse can't make on their own with, without some type of help and a medical opinion and a specialist and things like that. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do tort claims? Tort. Uh, not, but we do 1151 claims here, so we will do, like, the medical malpractice against a VA facility. Um, yeah. I know we have a handful of them. We generally don't take on a ton of them, um, but we do we do represent them, yeah. We do those claims. What about one of the veteran was uh, never told that he had lung cancer until he went outside the VA for treatment for 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 a second opinion and told he had end stage lung cancer and died a month later. Right, we've seen that. That's that's mm-hmm. been big in the news. There's been several cases like that recently where the uh, MRI or the CAT scan just just doesn't ever get looked at, and these guys are are sick and no one calls them and tells them. That's pretty sad. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so. a sign of why these spouses have been so important because they stay on top of that in the veterans. Mm-hmm. I think we've got a you know a history as veterans. When you're in the military, you do what you're told to do, and you figure you'll be taken care of. And then as a veteran, you figure the same thing, and you don't necessarily check up on your stuff. And that it it's just like your leave paperwork when you're in the military. If you don't check on it, you're not going to get to go home. <laughs> so. It's like being in the Navy, though. If you're in a wartime situation in the Navy and you get killed, they bury you at sea. guess that makes it easier. Mm-hmm. Whatever's <laughs> easier. If it 
inconveniences the government, they'll do it. Anything new and exciting going on in the D.C. on the Hill? Um, they're still pushing the, the burn pit legislation. They're still hoping to um, create a, a center for research for people who are exposed, not just to the burn pits, but environmental issues in, in general, and to the, for the children of those, those people. So people who, have, um, who are exposed to Agent Orange, their children and their grandchildren would be part of this registry and the possible um, research around it. Not sure how far that's going to go, but that's, that seems important. Um, we're seeing a lot of cases here where people will go to the doctor, VA doctor, and say, uh, I think I've got a problem with my lungs, and the doctors are connecting it to the burn pits or some kind of exposure in Iraq and Afghanistan. We just took a case like that. Um, so it, it seems important to get move forward with the research on that to make sure that we don't end up with another Agent Orange situation where everybody ends up um, covered because we didn't do the research to start with to see what the, the actual problems were going to be. And now with the burn kids, we've got that opportunity, so it'd be nice if they if they followed through on it. They need to have the researchers be an outside and independent organization, though we can't use the government to research that. It's kind of like making a line that's washed his own blanket. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're, we're also, there was just a $800,000 grant awarded yesterday, I think, for Gulf War illness research, and it's for treatment of Gulf War illness. So, and that's the congressionally mandated um, DOD funding, and and that came about because, because DOD wasn't necessarily paying for that stuff because it wanted to, so now Congress says you have to, and that's that's how those kinds of grants go through. So you're right that the government doesn't necessarily do things in the proper order. <laughs> I'm sure Dick Channing cleaned it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and then at least our case. Uh, yeah, we had another one that was that we won. We won part of it recently um, for it was kidney disability. Um, veteran had diabetes actually, and we ended up getting a medical opinion that connected the diabetes to the kidney disability. And in this one, they actually found that um, our physician's opinion was more probative than the VA examiner's opinion. <laughs> Which uh, which is always a nice feeling when we when VA actually puts that in writing that they found our opinion better, um, linking that. So that was actually a really interesting one. But yeah, so in a lot of cases like but in a lot of cases like this, you know, without a private medical opinion or a specialist or somebody who's more objective looking at all the evidence, the veteran doesn't see a win in their case. Uh, those kidney issues are, you know, they could be attributed to either diabetes or high blood pressure. So, a lot of or even know, agent orange sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be agent orange related. I mean, it's, agent orange has a, a various effect on a lot of different things. It's it really like does, and I. 
I think we see a lot of veterans who, you know, maybe aren't necessarily sure that they have these conditions that are that are related to Agent Orange um, because, you know, the truth is that we don't entirely know everything that Agent Orange affects yet. Um, and a lot of the doctors we use will say, you know, there's still medical literature coming out about all these different things, which is how we're successful in winning claims like glioblastomas, which are not presumptive, but we've I'd say we've taken on 12 in the past six months or so, maybe more, um, you know, either for service connection or service connection for cause of death because the veteran dies from brain cancer and they were exposed to Agent Orange. Um, you know, and eventually that probably will make the presumptive list because we just see so many. But until VA changes it, you know, we just we take those specialty cases where they they say, well, we're not really sure. My my husband died from this, or, or the veteran says, I have this condition, and we can link it to Agent Orange a lot of the time. And once they change this legislation on the Blue Water, once the Blue Water Navy guys get situated, you guys will be getting y'all stay pretty busy for the next ten or twelve years. Well, we still get those cases now. We just had one where the veteran was, he came into port, and the, the port was surrounded on all three sides by Vietnam. <laughs> um, and they said that he was a Blue Water veteran, and the VA ultimately said, and the, the case was actually, the judge was actually funny about it, just kind of making fun of VA and their, their ideas of what is considered inland, um, said that but yeah, he was probably exposed to Agent Orange, even though he was considered a better veteran. So those those cases can still be won now; it's just not presumptive. Is that where he ordered the VA to determine the actual Blue Water person itself? That's the same case. I'm sorry. At the same case where the judge ordered the VA to actually make a definition of Blue Water yes. again. Yes. Yes. Case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Turn about okay. Okay, we'll see what happens on that. They'll probably take out to a thousand miles now. Anything's <laughs> 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 mm. possible, folks. I don't have too much faith in, the, in that. I've seen it backfire too many times. To me, veterans are waiting for benefits from the blue water, and they've got the same symptoms of guys that were on the ground days. So I guess that... Uh, there's a serenity, I guess. I don't know how we know what happens. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like that other case we had with Highland where he'd obviously been exposed. He said he could. He was loading up the Agent Orange, and VA was saying, well, we have no proof of it. And he's like, but I, I saw it. I was looking at the barrels, and, you know, the, the planes would fly over, and you'd look out over the base, and there was no, there was no foliage, which means that the jungle had been defoliated, which means with Agent Orange, so. <laughs> I take it he was an Air Force vet? He was Air Force, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got a couple of guys, too, that are like that. One of them worked in Korea, and he's got some Agent Orange issues. Oh. He was in, uh, I guess he was at the air, air, air Base in Korea back in the 60s. Huh. And uh, he had a very similar issue. Very similar issues. Diabetes, heart disease. Well, to me, to me, it looked like if, if you had uh, two or three or more symptoms of uh, uh, ailments uh, that could be associated with Agent Orange, it ought to be uh, kind of a given that it's not. Uh, yeah. Well, the, the other issue is that a lot of these guys are hitting the age where everybody has diabetes and heart disease and the high blood pressure, you know, it's that that's 
I, I guess I could see their point there, except for that if you were over there and you're, there's a possibility that you were exposed, then VA is supposed to give you the benefit of the doubt. Well, they don't do that, unfortunately. No. Not enough. Uh, and as uh, the reason the veterans are getting so much older is uh, they've been fighting the VA so many years on their claims. The VA's just run them up in years. Yeah, yeah, we've a lot of really old claims here. Haven't you ever seen the VA's definition of benefit of the doubt, Gerald? To the benefit <laughs> of the VA, we doubt this condition is service connected. <laughs> <laughs> That's the benefit of the doubt. That's yeah. I'd like to see the VA make some some decent changes and benefit of the veterans, but unfortunately it's uh, not happened yet. We have been seeing some good decisions out of the, the board and out of the court, so you know, there's hope in that. I guess we, we have for a while. Yeah, generally we see some more favorable grants at the board just because that's where the attorneys are and they know how to apply the law a little bit better. At the regional office, it's very much a checkbox of if you don't meet these certain criteria, then you're getting denied. And, you know, that's why we have to see a lot of things like glioblastoma wins generally we see at the board um, because they're the attorneys and they know how to apply, you know, the benefit of the doubt a little bit better than they do at the regional office. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the BVA is a little more legal precedent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But stay tuned. I mean... Yeah, it uh, it seems to me that uh, the VA would cut out a lot of these in-between places. I mean, my lands, they shouldn't have to send uh, a claim through three or four different agencies. Or they, they say it's in the claims process. I think the other agencies are just like the AMC and different places like that uh, are nothing other than holding centers. Sometimes that's true, unfortunately, you know, because VA gets so backlogged, everything just sort of sits. And it is a very lengthy process. <laughs> it sure is. i tell you what could help out, too, guys, to tell you the truth. You know, you've got the BVA and you've got the courts. I see a lot of remands, and if they could start doing a lot more reversals instead of remands, I believe a lot more veterans would be better off and they clear the books faster, too. Right. The good thing about the remand is that it forces the board to look at it again and to understand it a little bit better, but it certainly does slow down the process. Yeah. They remand it back to the regional office, and they'll put the same idiot that worked to begin with, and he comes back to the same opinion that goes in front of the board, and they're remanding back and forth like a friend of mine for 14 years now. Oh, I've yeah. seen ones that have been roughly like 20 years remanded back and forth, goes up to the court or back down to the board, remand, remand, remand. Joke. That's a joke. We just had a yeah, really they should only be allowed so many remands and then they have to go <laughs> ahead and be That's ridiculous. They can't get it right the first time. I can understand one remand, but after that... Uh, the situation needs to be changed. 
that uh, uh, this repetitious remands are, are uh, well, that's generated the backlog, I feel. Right. Uh, yeah, we you know, just Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm just, we just had a case where the veteran submitted uh, evidence for a certain condition, and the, the case ended up being remanded because the board decided on a different condition. It wasn't even it wasn't even related to what what he initially submitted. So it was just an error. Well, that's what you run into a lot of times is. Uh, the board, or somehow the other, the claim gets all twisted around. Right. And, uh, for instance, I just got a copy of my claims file, and it don't even re resemble a claims file. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nothing there that I put in there. Oh, no. <laughs> so now uh, we have to fight to get, get my real claims file. Uh, oh, Folks, I got bad news, really bad news. We are completely out of airtime. <laughs> we need to we need to have your girls back on again real soon because you guys you know your stuff and we like that, you know we like information from good sources and you guys are an excellent source of information. Thank you. Thank you. It's always good to talk to you guys. Well, and the information you give out, we do keep all this in archives so veterans can come through and listen to it. And we do have a lot of a lot of uh, people come through listening to our archives. And, uh, and of course, they can tune in there on the hand at tube where they can listen. Uh, so, uh, believe me, you're being heard. Great. We appreciate and, it. And the time you, you give us and the information is certainly utilized. Uh, it's it's for the better. It, it helps a lot of veterans understand things that normally they wouldn't. Uh, help navigate this crazy BA system. <laughs> well, thank you for having us. Well, we we really appreciate you coming on. We'll have you back on here real soon. So uh, maybe you can sing us a song too. Oh, you don't want that? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no song. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, we'll have you on uh, again real soon. So. Great, to thank you. And uh, you guys have a great week. What's left of it? When a claim. We will. <laughs> okay, great. We like to hear that. Okay, John, you want to go ahead and close us out? Roger that. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Bachelor Show. <laughs>